Thank you, Ruth Ann. Thank you, Anita. Think about the message of that song. You think about the world in which we live. And just think about daily life. As we draw near to Christ, that involves day-by-day -day living. And sometimes that's mundane stuff we might call mundane. Other times it might be what we consider less mundane. And in preparation for <clears throat> next Sunday, Danny reminded me there's a work day this Saturday, 8.30 a.m. This Saturday, 8.30 a.m. Anyone like to be involved? And also, if there's anyone willing to paint some this week, I guess see you, Danny, or see Danny, you know, if someone's willing to do some painting. And also, I think there's an opportunity still to sign up for some food if you want to bring some items for next Sunday or meal following a dedication service. As we reflect on a passage from Mark, Mark chapter 7, 31 through 37 this morning, I want you to keep in mind that the 12 continue to be with Jesus during the ministry that takes place in Mark. And Mark continues in Mark 7 to share concerning the identity, the being, the character of Jesus. Jesus is unique. He is the Son of God. He will baptize with the Holy Spirit. That is, he will future from the time period of Mark 1. It's historical from our time perspective. <clears throat> Jesus was sensitive to God's Spirit, and he was able to resist Satan. The being, the character, the identity of Jesus is then expressed in his words and his actions. And in Mark 1, 15 through 7 and verse 30, we find that Jesus performed and did a lot of things. He proclaimed the good news of God. He taught with authority. He quieted and cast out an evil spirit. He healed Peter's mother-in-law. He healed various diseases and drove out many demons. He prayed. He talked to his father. He preached in his synagogues and drove out more demons. He healed a man with leprosy. He healed a paralytic. He called Levi, a tax collector, to follow him. He ate with tax collectors and sinners. He taught concerning fasting. He taught concerning the Sabbath. He called 12 men to be with him, to preach, and to cast out demons. He taught concerning blaspheme against the Holy Spirit. He redefined family. He taught his disciples concerning the kingdom of God. He's the Lord over nature. He calmed a storm. He could heal a demon-possessed man that no one could bind. He raised a girl from the dead and healed a sick woman. He acknowledges that even, even he must be acknowledged for his being, his character, identity, if he is to heal. He sends the 12 out to reach, heal, and cast out demons. He fed 5,000 men. He sent the 12 into a difficult situation 
to show them their inability and their hard hearts. He taught that the heart, which is displayed in words and actions, takes priority over loving God, worshiping God, and walking with God. Jesus also has power over evil spirits. There is a reason why the Gospels so clearly emphasize Christ and his identity, his character, and his being. Probably three-fourths of each of the Gospels is devoted to Christ and who he is. And then the latter part of each Gospel talks about the work he did in going to the cross, coming from the dead, and then ascending to the Father. We are called to become disciples of Jesus. We're called to follow Jesus for who he is not merely what he has done or is willing to do for us. And keep that in mind as we read together Mark 7, starting with verse 31, where we find that Jesus heals a deaf and mute man. Mark 7, beginning with verse 31. Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went into Sidon, down to the Sea of Galilee, and into the region of Decapolis. There some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk, and they begged him to place his hand on the man. After he took him aside, away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears. Then he spit and touched the man's tongue. He looked up to heaven and with a sigh said to him, Ephabathah, which means be open. At this, the man's ears were open. His tongue was loosed, and he began to speak plainly. Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone. But the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. People were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. This is the second episode of Jesus' healing in Gentile territory. The first one being when he cast out a demon of a lady's daughter in verses 24 through 30 when the daughter was not even present. And as you read the Gospel of Matthew, you'll find that Jesus apparently had a ministry perhaps eight months in Gentile territory as he healed, cast out demons, taught, and so on. And you'll notice that the text clearly says, when he left the vicinity of Tyre, went through Sidon, down to the Sea of Galilee, there some people brought to him a man. The people are bringing this man who is deaf and could hardly talk. They are helping him. They bring him, and what else do they do? They begged him. The woman in verses 24 through 30 did the same thing. The man is deaf, and he could hardly talk. And we would surmise that his condition probably was not due to a birth defect, but something apparently happened in life. And the handicap of not being able to hear and not to talk well would have been terrible 
especially in ancient times. If we were given a choice between blindness or deafness, the idea of losing our hearing does not seem nearly as debilitating as losing our vision. But the medical people and those who are deaf would tell us otherwise. Blindness can be terrible, but the blind don't suffer the same social pain and stigma experienced by the deaf. The gawking, the impatient stares of those who are not aware of their condition. There's also the humiliation that comes because of being thought stupid because one cannot understand or speak. If you want to have a little idea of what it means to be deaf, talk to someone who has trouble hearing and gets a hearing aid. Talk to John, talk to Joe, talk to Art Price as an example. This man could not ask questions at least not intelligently. If a conversation is going on, he would not be able to ask an intelligent question because he didn't know what was going on. He could not hear explanations. The truth of Scripture in some respects was hidden from him because Scripture came primarily through the ear gate. Many have a, may have attributed his condition to demonization. We must be possessed by demons. Apparently, he was miserable and hopeless. Probably my greatest encounter with someone who has been deaf was when I was in college in Tennessee. Would have <clears throat> interacted some with some deaf people. And it's difficult. And to see some of the rejection they get from people just because of their inability to communicate because they're not able to hear can be frustrating. So here's a man that is brought to Jesus. He cannot hear. He's deaf. And he could hardly talk. And Jesus is begged to place his hand on the man and to heal him. Now, it's interesting what Jesus does. He took him aside, away from the crowd. So, do we have a volunteer? Someone willing to volunteer? Jer, come on up here if you're willing. <clears throat> so, apparently, Jesus is ministering to a crowd. He takes him away from the crowd. And what does he do? I don't know if you like your ears played with. Stay here. And then it would be inclined to think that Jesus probably spit on his fingers. Stick your tongue out for a second. And would have touched them. Thank you, Jer. And in doing that, indicating that he was going to heal the man. Visibly communicating that something is going to happen. They begged Jesus 
to place his hand on the man. So he takes him aside. He puts his fingers into the man's ears. He spit, touched the man's tongue, and he looked to heaven. Communication, apparently, with his father, with a deep sigh. Ephathah, which means be opened. At this, the man's ears were opened, his tongue was loosed, and he began to speak plainly. The man didn't go to a doctor or hearing aid clinic to get a hearing aid. He didn't go to speech therapy class. It was an immediate response. His ears were open. His tongue was loosed. And he began to speak. Please understand that Jesus is at work demonstrating his character, his being, his identity. And I find it interesting, too, that he touched the man. Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears. He spit and touched the man's tongue. And it might be understood in terms of spitting in the man's tongue that in the Old Testament, many bodily fluids would be considered unclean, whether it be spit, menstrual blood, semen, urine, and pus. But the spit of certain persons, however, was considered by Jews to have a healing power, especially when it was involved with prayer. And Jesus is indicating that he is going to minister to this man. But I want to emphasize that he touched the man. I'll come at more on that in a little while. A deaf man could hear. Just like that. It was instant. It was complete. It was fully done. Here's a man who could hardly talk, according to the text. His tongue was loosed and he began to speak plainly. Again, that was instant. Couldn't speak plainly. Now he could speak clearly and plainly. Again, instant. We don't know how the man felt, but the healing was complete. No need for a hearing aid. No need for ther speech therapy. Healing that was complete.
what happens? Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone. Don't tell others what has happened. But the more he did so, the more people kept talking about it. People were overwhelmed. And the idea of overwhelm is to be beyond extreme. You know, it's just an extreme amazement. They were overwhelmed with amazement. They're driven out of their wits. Here's a man that couldn't hear, and now he hears. Here's a man that couldn't speak clearly, and all of a sudden he speaks. They're just blown out of their mind. They're amazed. Because it's not something that they saw every day. They said he has done everything well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Please remember that he is ministering in Gentile territory. He came to the Jews, but as we discussed last week, the woman in verse 27 said, I'm sorry, verse 28, yes, Lord, but even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. She is a Gentile, so just give me some of the crumbs. And we find God, Christ, ministering to a Gentile. Now, when you think about an application, Jesus is ministering in Gentile territory in this passage. He was a Jew. Perhaps we need to get out of our comfort zone at times in reaching out to our community. Let's not think about people and their need to come to us, to our building, to our program. But think about the fact that are we willing to go into our community in ways that may not even be considered in the past to reach them. See, here's Jesus, a Jew, came primarily to the Jews, and he's going into Gentile territory. The healing of the woman, or the woman's daughter in verses 24 through 30, again was in Gentile territory. We can get in our little holy huddle. We can invite people in. And I would encourage you to invite people that you befriend to our services. But it seems like Jesus' focus wasn't going. See, he left his holy huddle of the Father, the Holy Spirit, and himself. Took upon himself human form so that he could minister and heal a person such as this man who is deaf and could not speak clearly. Just think about how we might leave our holy huddle. How can you and I leave our comfort zone to reach out and minister to someone else? Give you a second to respond if you have a response. How do we reach those around us? How do we leave a comfort zone? Jesus, again, is in Gentile territory. Again, he is not with his Father. He is not with the Spirit. 
He'd taken upon himself human form to reach out and minister. Any response before we go on? How many of you have a neighbor? That is a non-believer. Have you invited them into your home? Or have you been in their home? You have a coworker or another a student at school to reach out to them with love, concern. You don't need to look at the paper very long to see in the paper where there's all kinds of sinners listed there. Do we reach out to them? For a number of years, we've heard about some corruption in our county. Who has been and who has befriended? What believers have befriended some of those county officials? That may now be some of them in jail to reach them. You drive down the road and you see some kids doing something, <clears throat> such as I was going out 118, just beyond where 29 and 118 cross, and going up the hill by WRGN there, and there's some kids coming down the other side of the road on skateboards. And we think, why do you do such stupid things? Maybe they don't have a parent that cares. Maybe you could be a person that shows love to them and reaches out to them. Maybe they shouldn't be doing that. I'm not discussing whether they should or not. But who's going to love them? Who's going to reach out to them? You may have a neighbor, <clears throat> a younger person, whose parents may be divorced. And they may love and live in a tough home situation. How about reaching out to them? It seems if we walk with Jesus, he will be transforming our daily life. Our desires, our attitudes, our relationships, like he healed the deaf and mute man, with the result being that unbelievers desire to know Christ. In Colossians 4 and verses 5 and 6, Paul talks about the fact that we're to be wise in the way we act towards outsiders. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 11 and 12, he tells us to make it our ambition, to mind your own business, to work with your own hands. Is that our desire? Why? So that we might win the respect of outsiders. The way Jesus lived, the way Jesus responded makes a difference. Living a quiet life, minding your own business, working with your own hands, apparently is going to influence unbelievers. In 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15, Peter says, be ready to give an answer to those who ask a reason of the hope that you have. And he's writing to a persecuted church. And apparently the believers are living with a, an eternal hope in the midst of difficulty. And Peter says, be ready to answer. Recently I was talking to someone 
and I was sharing about some things that I've been through physically, and I said, you know, my primary goal in life is not to get fixed, but to honor God and how I respond. And the person just kind of looked at me like, where do you come from? Your primary concern isn't being fixed physically? No, my primary concern is to glory and to rejoice in my difficulties. No. The way we live, the way we respond, makes a difference. Or people coming to us in daily lives, due to our desires being different. We just have different desires and they come out in the way we live. Our attitudes being different. Our marriages being different. Our children seeking to obey and desiring to be with their parents. And their relationships being fruitful in terms of the Spirit. Another application coming directly from Mark 7, Jesus' life so often. Be compassionate. Touch people. Be compassionate. Touch people. Can you imagine being a leper in the day of Jesus and Jesus healed a leper earlier in Mark? And a leper, if he followed the Old Testament, would go out and he would say, unclean, unclean, and everyone would know to stay away from the leper. And Jesus comes to him and touches. Here's a man who is deaf, and Jesus touches. Here's a man who cannot speak clearly, and Jesus touches. Part of compassion is touching. As you read through the Gospels, you will find that Jesus again and again touched people who were not well physically. Why do you think when you go to see someone in the hospital and you're observing a family interacting that many times a mate may hold the hand of the one that was in the hospital? Might, you know, just kind of brush hair back and touch. Part of compassion. Whom should we touch in our church, in our family, and as individuals? And then this tie, my next question ties in with what I discussed before. How can we go to Gentile territory and minister? When I say Gentile, I'm talking beyond the norm. Often as I flip through the newspaper, they have little blurbs about this guy and the next guy, more guys and gals, but sometimes it involves gals who have been in trouble. 
and the thought goes through my mind, who's going to reach out to them? The other day as I was driving in our community, past some kids along the road, and the thought went through my mind, who's going to reach out to them and who's going to reach out to their parents? They brought this man to Jesus. Jesus reached out, but he was in Gentile territory. Have a mindset. How can I reach out to others? To be the hands, the feet, the tongue of Christ to share with others. Christ came, and in this case, he healed physically. Christ came to deal with spiritual issues also. He died. He arose from the dead. He paid the penalty for sin so that there could be life. And he told the 12 to go out and make disciples. And you'll find in the epistles that as the writers speak to churches, they tell us to live in a way that our lives are attractive to pull people to Christ. Jesus cast out a demon in verses 24 through 30. He healed a deaf man and a man who could hardly speak in verses 31 through 37 displaying who he is. Let's live and share Christ and who he is. And be able to quickly identify with people in our world of influence that we can minister the gospel to. We can minister kindness and love to rather than walking away from them and saying, I don't want to be any part of them. As Travis comes to lead us in just two verses of lonely voices, think about who in your severe of influence may be lonely.